Hi, this is Sarit Schwetzer, and welcome to the It Is Taught podcast, a podcast devoted to the teachings of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, as recorded in his most famous work, the Tanya. My hope for this show is to make these teachings accessible and relatable to the average person, regardless of prior Jewish education or affiliation. The episodes follow the prescribed daily study portions and are meant to serve as practical lessons in how to live your life as your true self and develop an authentic and powerful relationship with your Creator. I have personally experienced the effects the study of this work has had on me, and I'm excited to share what I can of this knowledge with you. So please join me on this journey of learning, self-growth, and connection with your source. Hi, and welcome to the It Is Hot podcast. This is episode 196 for the 7th of Sivan in Elite. So this is the second day of Shavuos. So I'm pre-recording this episode, and hopefully you are listening to it either before or after Shavuos. If it's before Shavuos, I hope that you have a very nice Shavuos. And if it is after Shavuos, I hope you had a nice holiday. And um, so a few announcements for today. Very exciting. First of all, I got a new microphone. So finally, Samsung sent me a replacement microphone in the mail. So uh, hopefully the, the audio quality is a lot better. And thank you so much for bearing with me while I know the audio was like subpar. It really, really irked me. And uh, I tried my best. I borrowed a different microphone from a friend for a little while, but like... This microphone, I think, is a lot better. <laughs> Hopefully, you'll agree. And the second annou- exciting announcement is we are now officially beginning that second book of the Tanya. Very, very cool. So yesterday, we started the intro to the book, Chinuch Katan. Today, we're getting into the actual text of the book, of Shar HaYichod Vayemuna. This is the gate and, of unity and faith. So this Sefer of Tanya is actually, in a lot of ways, my personal favorite. Actually, I find it to be the most interesting one. It's the most like philosophical of all of the this farm. It's the one that really deals with the underpinnings of reality. Who is God? What is the world? Why are we here? All of these like really basic fundamental philosophical questions that we might have. And in today's section, what we're really going to focus on uh, by way of introduction to this entire Sefer is this whole idea of monotheism and how monotheism might not be really what you thought it might be at first glance. So Judaism is a monotheistic religion, as most of you probably know, but um, we're not the only monotheistic religion. There are other monotheistic religions. Islam is a monotheistic religion. Some branches of Christianity can be considered monotheistic. Even Hinduism, believe it or not, people think of it as being an idolatrous religion. If you really get into the fundamental creed of of true Hinduism, it actually is at its core monotheistic. So monotheism, monotheism is not really unique to Judaism as much as some people might claim that it is. But what we'll learn about today and in today's section is that the monotheism that we believe in, at least by way of Chabad Hasidus, which is what we're learning in the Tanya, actually means something much deeper and much more profound than we might have thought at first glance. What it means to be monotheistic in a Jewish Hasidic sense isn't just to believe that there's one God and not two. That there isn't a God and a devil that are at war with each other, which is like more like the Zoroastrianism. That's what they kind of believed. And some 
branches of Christianity think like that too. It's not that there's like different figureheads of God and that kind of stuff. It's much, much more than that. The monotheism that we're going to be learning about today is to really understand that not only is there only one God and not two, but in fact, there is nothing but God. God is the only true reality. Any reality that we experience down here in our earth or even up in the heavens actually has no existence of its own other than God. And what we'll also learn about is what this fundamentally, how this translates and how we experience this and what, what this, how this manifests is through God's speech. So we see an allusion to this actually in the very beginning of the Torah, in the book of, G of Genesis, where it talks about embraces, where it talks about God creating the world. So when we look at the phraseology that's used there, it doesn't say, and now God created this, and now God did this, and now God made the, the planets, and now God made the earth and stuff. It says, and now God said, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be the luminaries and there were the luminaries. So God spoke the world into existence. So there's something about speech that was in intrinsic to the creation of the world. And what we'll learn about today is that this wasn't just like a poetic way that the Torah went about describing the story of creation, but there's actually very, something very, very fundamental to it. And that not only did God, in fact, truly speak in his way, the world integration, this wasn't a one-time event. And this wasn't just like a historical thing that happened way back in the day, but it actually is happening at every moment, at every second, at every hour of every day. And that truly, the true basis of the entirety of reality is the speech. So one thing to notice that's really fascinating about this, and this is a subject that I don't know about all that much, and I'd like to research more, is that this is something that physics is kind of tapping into. Uh, in the last few years, physics has actually come to discover that the underlying fundamental building blocks of all of creation is vibration, otherwise known as sound. So maybe we'll talk about this more at length in a future episode when I have more time to prepare and research this topic, or if any, any of the listeners know about this, I'd love to hear more if you have any resources for me. But I think it's, it's really cool when like science and comes to meet Torah in that way, where, where this is something that physics is only coming to understand now, where we'll see that this is something that the Alter Epa wrote about a long, long time ago. <laughs> so uh, let's get straight into the text and discuss more as we go, because I think that will really give us a true appreciation of all of these ideas that we're talking about. So the Alter Epa begins this section by actually uh, giving a heading that is kind of giving his like thesis statement for this entire section of the Tanya, where he says that what we're going to be do doing here is we're going to be learning a little bit, just that we're going to get a small glimpse of that which it says in the Zohar, that the verse Shema Yisrael Hashem Alokeinu Hashem Echad is higher unity, Yehuda Ilah, and Baruch Shem Kvod Ma'chotolam is lower unity, Yehuda Tata. So, okay, so basically let's just explain that very in brief. First of all, to note, the Altarvis says that we're only going to understand to a very small degree. So he's acknowledging the fact that, interestingly enough, as much as this book is really all about really using our brains to their fullest capacity, pushing our, pushing our mind to the fullest extent to try to understand God, to try to understand our reality, to try to understand what it means that God is everywhere and in everything, we're actually only going to get a very small glimpse of this. And the more we learn, the more we'll realize how much we don't know, which is a the big topic that I talked about yesterday in the 
Chinochkatan episode where I talked about my yoga practice and how the more I practice, the more of a beginner I feel. Same thing here. The more we learn, the more we learn, the more we'll realize just how much we don't know. So nevertheless, we're going to have a small sense. We're going to try to really understand to a very small degree what this means, where there's this teaching in the Zohar that the first verse of the Shema prayer, so Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, which means hear, O Israel, God is your God, God is one. That's a reference to something called higher unity, Yehuda Ilah. So we will talk about that later on as to what that means, but just keep that in mind for now. And then it also says that the second verse, which means blessed is his glorious name of, of his kingship forever and ever. This is a reference to lower unity, to Yehuda Tata. So this is the thesis statement for the entire book. And so it's not going to be answered today, obviously, because he's going to take the entire book to explain this. But so today we're going to begin to delve into these ideas by really getting into, first of all, what it means to be monotheistic, as I mentioned in the introduction. So the Altar Rebbe begins this chapter, chapter one of Sharia Chudba and he actually states, Furthermore, another section of the Shema prayer, which is originally from Dvarim, from the Chumash Dvarim, chapter 4, verse 39, where it says, mm-hmm. So this literally means that you should know today and place it in your heart that God is the God in the heavens above and on the earth below. There is none other. So the Altar Abba asks a question on this verse where it talks about that there is, you should know that there is, it seems like a really important thing that is teaching that we should know today that there's one God and it's the same God in the heavens and the earth below. And so the altar of says, he says, well, if Christians really think that there's a God that's going around in the water underneath the earth, the point that we need to really warn somebody so much to the point of like, really, you know, place this in your heart. There is no water God. <laughs> really remember this. So to understand this, the Altar Rebbe brings another verse, this time from Tehillim, chapter 119, verse 89, where it says, where it says, forever, God, your words, word stands firm in the heavens. So on a simple reading of this verse, it sounds like that the verse is just teaching us that like, okay, God's word is eternal. We always have to listen to God. We can't just think God said something and then he stopped saying it and and it's not relevant anymore or something like that. But, and it's just a poetic way of teaching us this. But the Baal Shem Tov of blessed memory, he actually taught that there's a deeper understanding of this. He, he understood this in a more literal way. He said, when we say, forever your God, your words stand firm in the heavens. What are God's words? The words that we're referencing here are the words of Yehira Kia Betochamayim Begomer, which is the words from Breshis, chapter one, verse six, where God actually spoke the heavens into existence, that there should be a firmament in the midst of the waters. So he says that these words stand firm forever. These letters and these words, they are always within the firmament of the heaven. And they are they contain within them all of the firmaments of all of the heavens in order to vivify them. As it says, Udvar Elokenu Yakum Lolam. And so this is another verse from Ishayahu, verse 40, uh, chapter 40, verse 8. And 
which means that, and then the word of God will stand forever. So again, it's the same idea. It's something about God's word. It keeps using that phraseology of God's word, God's speech. And then it says, So this is a, this is something that we say in davening, which again, it means his words live and stand firm forever. So this again, is this idea that there's something about God's word specifically that stands forever, like actual literal words. So the, so the way the Baal Shem Tov understood this is that it's literally talking about the actual words that God used to speak the world into creation, to speak here, the heavens into creation. And he says that if, so if, if the actual, if the letters were to leave, even for a split moment, God forbid, and going back to their source, then the entire heavens would return to not, not in nothingness and would become like nothing at all. Like before God actually spoke those words of And so too, this isn't just the case in terms of the heavens, but this is true with all of the creations of all the, of everything, whether we're talking about the creations in the higher worlds or in the lower worlds, and even this physical reality that we live in, this physical earth. If the letters of speech that God used to create the world were to depart, God forbid, for even one moment, then all of this would return to not and nothingness. True not and nothingness, just like it was before the six days of creation. So we're hanging on a really thin thread here is what the altar is trying to teach us is that our entire reality, our entire existence is totally and utterly dependent upon this constant speech of God that is creating the world and bringing the world into existence, something for nothing at all times. And then the altar says that this was actually taught by the Arizal of blessed memory. That he said that like even in the domem, even in inanimate objects, like in rocks or in dirt or in water, they also have a spiritual life force to them. So we talked about this in a previous episode, the idea that there is, everything has a soul to it on a certain level, has a spiritual nature to it, even things like rocks. So here we're understanding this on a deeper level, that even stones and earth and water, just like the heavens, their entire existence really truly at its core is really nothing but the word of God. So this is how we can understand that it actually does contain a spiritual life force to it, these rocks. So, and the way we can see this, like if we want to really break it down, is because the letters of speech from the 10 mamarot, the 10 utterances through which God created the world and continues to create the world, these vivify and these give life to the, to the domem, to the inanimate object, to bring them into existence out of nothingness, out of the not in nothingness that preceded the six days of creation into the existence that they have right now. So this creating something from nothing is happening. It wasn't just a one-time event, basically. It's something that's happening all the time. It's perpetual and it's recurring. And so then, and, and the way that it happens on a technical level, the ultra is teaching us is through these 10 utterances. So if you go back to the story of creation in, in Genesis, we'll see that you'll see that there is actually 10 utterances that God spoke and those 10 utterances created the entire world. And so it's the, those 10 utterances that are the vivifying force behind all of creation. But so now the ultra brings up a good point and he says, okay, but wait a second. If it's those letters from the 10 utterances and those words that are creating all of creation. So now we're talking about a stone. We're talking about inanimate objects such as a stone. So the word for stone in Hebrew is the word Evan, which is Aleph, Bet, and Nun. And if we look at the 10 utterances that were used to create the world, which is what we were learning, we don't see that that word is in there. So thus, how can we say that 
this stone is getting its vivification and its its existence from those 10 utterances. So the altar rabbi says that it is coming down from those 10 utterances. It's just coming down by means of combinations and permutations of the letters that go down in 231 gates. So it's, uh, it's Resh Lamed Aleph Sha'arim in Hebrew. So it's so basically so in, and, and they go forward or backwards. And all this is detailed in Sefer Yitzhira. So basically what happens is that we had these 10 utterances of creation through which God created the world that are that are mentioned in the story of creation in Breshis. These are kind of like the building blocks. But from those building blocks, then you can do a lot with them. It's like once you have those blocks, then they can be permutated, they can be combined, they can be substituted. There's a whole bunch of different, like different formulas that they can go through until the point that eventually through enough permutations and combinations and all of this, then one combination came out and it brought out this word Evan, this word stone, which is the vitality of the, of the stone itself. And so too, this is true with all of the creations in all of the worlds that the names by which they are called in Lashon HaKodesh, in the Holy Tongue, which we call Hebrew, really, but it's the reason why the Altarba doesn't say Hebrew outright is because it's not modern-day Hebrew. It's like the biblical Hebrew. It's the original Holy Tongue. That So everything by its name, these, the, these, the name of each thing in the world, according to the Holy Tongue, according to its original name, these are the actual letters of speech that come from level to level through the 10 utterances of the Torah, through these different combinations and permutations of the letters and the 331 gates and all of that until they get to the point of that particular creation in order to vivify it. So just to pause here and just to understand the profundity of what that means when we talk about language and when we talk about the names of different objects and things like that. So in English or in French or in any regular kind of language, when we call things by different objects, it's merely just like a description of what that is because we need something to be able to relate to to other people, to let people know what we're talking about in order to function in the world. So it's like, if I want to say to somebody, you know, can you go get me that book that's on the table? We need to use the word book because we need a common language that we all understand. And some words are more descriptive than other words and they all kind of like allude to what that word is but what's really unique about the holy tongue about this original hebrew that we're talking about about the the language through which the world was and is created is it's not just a descriptive language it's not just like oh we use these words in this casual way and whatever we call these words it's like it could have been called book it could have been called apple it doesn't really make a difference no in hebrew the name of every object is extremely precise it's extremely individual and it actually literally expresses its vitality in it in the utmost way so that the word evan the word stone in hebrew is it's not random that it's called an evan it's called an evan because its particular life force its particular existence comes down by way of those exact letters through that exact permutation and combination that had to come about from the 10 utterances in cre- of creation until it came into that into that uh, combination and so now the ultra brings up the question, why is it? You know, you would think like, sure, it would have been cumbersome if the Torah were to delineate all of creation and were to say, and now God said stone. Now God said apple. Now God said this. Now God said that. Um, so yeah, that would be cumbersome. But there's another reason as to why not all of these creations are mentioned explicitly in the 10 utterances of creation. And this is because 
not all of creation would be able to, to accept, they wouldn't be able to handle the actual vitality from the 10 utterances of creation in a direct way like this. Because this vitality that came, came about through these 10 utterances is very large. It's a lot. And it's, it's too much for these individual creations to be able to handle. And they don't have the energy, the, the power to be able to support this. The only way that individual creations could experience this vitality, this vital flow that came from these 10 utterances, is if this vitality went down from level to level that made it lower and lower and more diminished through these different permutations and combinations of letters and, and the different gematrios, the numerical values and all of those things. And, and that each letter has a specific numerical value associated with it and everything like that until it gets to the point that it becomes so constricted to be able to be vested within this particular thing in creation, this particular creature. So basically what what the ultra is saying is that this vital force, which is found within the 10 utterances of creation, which is the building block of all of creation, these are the fundamental like energy flow through which all of creation is constantly created and vivified. It's very intense. And in order to have these different types of objects in the world that make up our world, receive this vitality and be able to be vivified and be created from it, they can't receive it in a direct way because it's too much for them. So it needed to come down in this like more like um, abstract format, this more like permutations and combinations and drawing down of level to level to level. And then to the point that when it comes down here, this becomes its actual name through which the, the, the object, the creation is called. This is its name in Lashon HaKodesh. And then whatever its name is in Lashon HaKodesh, like this word Evan, for example, is its actual vital force. So this is why, as a side note, we know that in Judaism, our Hebrew names really are something very special because we know that our Hebrew names, again, they're not just random, but they actually are an expression of our vitality, an expression of who we are. So this is why it's, they say that when we name a baby, the parents of a child name the baby, it's taught that they actually receive a, a Ruach HaKodesh. They get like a Holy Spirit, like a divine force comes into them and tells them what to name the baby. It's not really their true choice. As much as parents think that they're choosing the name of their child, it's actually coming from a much higher place because it's an expression of the vitality of this child. And so then just in conclusion here, the Altar Abbas says that once again, so these, these names that we're getting, whether it's our actual names that we use or whether it's the name of all the different creatures in the world, they are coming from these 10 utterances of the Torah that have the ability and the power to be able to, to vitalize and to create something from nothing in order to give vitality to the entire world. And then the altar concludes with a final note, which is kind of like a question here and an answer leaps into one is, how is it, somebody might say, how is it that these letters, they're merely just letters of the Torah. How is it that they have the power to create the world? Is because we know that the Torah and God are all one. And so God and his Torah are really one and the same. So when we say that the Torah, and this is a teaching that comes from the Zohar. And so when we say that the Torah, the letters of the Torah created the world and create the world, it's really God that's creating the world. So that's the end of this section today. It's actually an entire chapter that we learned. It's chapter one of Shari Yuchud Ba'amunah. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was enlightening and gave you maybe like a little bit more of a sense of appreciation for all of the creatures around you in your life and maybe for your own Hebrew name as well. 
And tomorrow we are going to continue along these lines when we get into the beginning of chapter two of this section. And I will speak to you then. Thanks for listening to the It Is Top podcast hosted by Sarit Switzer. This podcast is dedicated in loving memory of my maternal grandfather, Avraham Yitzhak ben Binyamin Cohen of Blessed Memory. Music by Shoshana. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please share it with others and subscribe on YouTube, Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure to leave us a five-star review. To find out more about the It Is Taught project, including more information on my soon-to-be-published book, please visit our website, itistaught.com. To catch the latest from me, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Looking forward to speaking with you tomorrow, and until then, have a great day.